and kind of an opportunity to build. It's not really a series, um, but but it'll kind of build on itself uh, of some things that have to do with with uh, who we are, how we serve God, some of the things that can be a, a hindrance to this, um, that that slow us down, that that uh, stop certain things. God from doing certain things in our life, that kind of thing. And so this is the beginning of this. This is the kind of the foundation of this. And, and to, to really look at uh, how this interacts with all of us individually. Now, the, the, the subject matter is being content in the Lord, but, but then you notice the title is Content in KG. And I didn't necessarily know what word to use for KG. It could have been um, being intentional, being uh, proactive, or being a fighter, that kind of thing. But uh, KG started with a C. So... Uh, that's how deep theologically I am. Philippians chapter 4, we'll take us into this, but as we go into this, I want to set up a little bit. There's certain things that we do uh, or that as we're learning in Christianity, we're reading the Bible, we're processing stuff, we have to really be able to understand the, the, the actual definition of the word and the, and the context and the, the way that, that uh, God is trying to use this in our life. There are certain words that when you run across them in Scripture, they can mean different things to different people and different things in different times in history as opposed to now. Culture affects a lot of these kind of things. For example, here's some really big ones that will help us quickly. In Ephesians 5 when it says, wives submit to your husbands, husband love your wives as Christ loved the church, that kind of thing. Well, you, you need some definition and process to understand this submission word and this loving word and all this. Uh, and, and to be able to process it in the bigger picture of what God is trying to say. One of the things that I enjoy doing is when I, when I have uh, pre-married counseling, and, and uh, the, you, can, you can say anything pretty much in pre-married counseling. Uh, wives, you should submit to your husband. I'll submit to him in everything. Uh, husband, you should love your wives. I love her more than life itself. You know, those kind of things. No matter what you say there, I am all in. But, that, but I wait until I kind of rule, uh, reel them in, pull them in close, and uh, they're all in with all, then I say, oh, by the way, uh, when Paul wrote this, he was writing this to, a, to, a, uh, to an audience that was completely, pretty much 100% arranged marriages. This isn't something that they went out and chose this person and did this. And, and part of the reason is for them to see this is they didn't choose the partner. They, in fact, sometimes they wouldn't have even known, never met the spouse until the wedding itself. And, and he would never have seen her until the honeymoon. There's actually scripture that talks about that, uh, seeing, seeing the, the uh, bride a, after, the, after the wedding kind of thing. So the idea that, that this is something that I'm just going to love her because I picked her out of the crowd and she's special. And all, it's, you got to have context for this, that God is saying to people that don't even know each other, you're supposed to love them completely. You're supposed to be all in, submit to each other, those kind of things. And so we got a, an, another example would be in the Ten Commandments when it says um, that we're supposed to honor our mother and father. Well, what does that mean? What does the word honor mean? I, I've had this question a lot. I've studied that. I've studied that uh, commandment a lot over the years to try to really understand, not only for my own personal life, which there's some reasons there, but also for other people to be able to answer the question, what does it mean to honor your father and mother? What does that mean as a child in the home? What does it mean as an adult child? What does it mean as a, an adult child that now your the the parents are are uh, incapacitated or they're they're you know Alzheimer's those kind of things? Honor you got to honor them. What does that mean? What does it mean for for uh, parents that have already gone on to be the Lord and you're a child still trying to honor them? What does it mean when the parents are not honorable? There's a lot of questions that kind of. Tr- 
with just one word, honor your mother and father. And so when we come to these kind of things where you say, well, what does it mean? How do I apply this? Sometimes culture directs how we think. Now, looking at the word content, being content, we're going to unpack this a little bit because I think oftentimes in the church we, we lose sight of what God is really trying to say through Paul because of culture. Our culture has changed a lot, specifically in the last 20, 30 years. Our culture has changed greatly when it comes to understanding uh, human interaction and how we think about God and how we respect God or serve God. I mean, society is constantly changing, and most of it is pushing against truth, most of it. So going to Philippians chapter 4, Paul had dealt with being attacked, being stoned to death. He had dealt with uh, being put in jail, being maligned, lied about, all these different things. He had dealt with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Now, that's important because he's about to explain some things to us that if we get the background, I I would venture to say that if you just read through the life of Paul, we're only getting some of it. We're not getting all of it. There's no way he goes over all the details. But there's there's no way that most of us in here have ever dealt with anything close to what Paul dealt with. And he dealt with it to an extreme. Okay? Now, with that being said, all of us in here still have major issues that we come across. And Paul says in verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have have the chance to help me. Verse 11, not that I was ever in need. I struggle with that part of that sentence. Paul says, not that I was ever in need, because then he spends the next few sentences explaining all the times when he was in need. But he says, I was not in need. So somewhere between the, the facts of what's going on in his life, somebody that has been stoned, and I believe he was actually stoned to death according to Scripture. I, different different um, theologians think differently about this. Well, he was stoned maybe to unconsciousness because it says he got up and walked. I think he was stoned to death, and God raised him from the dead. Now, r- regardless of whether you believe he actually died or just went unconscious, he still was stoned, so that's big. So... Then he says, but I, I, I really, I was never in need. How do you say that? The reason is because, <coughs> excuse me, for Paul, and we're going to see this, we're going to unpack this, for Paul it wasn't what happened, it's the attitude of his heart. That's, that's the difference. Look at this. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. It's a learned behavior. Every one of us in here can learn to be content with whatever we have. We can learn that, which also tells me that Paul wasn't always good at this. He had to learn it. It took him time. It took some process. It maybe took going through some of those things. I have learned to be content. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in almost every situation, whether it was a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. Do you realize all of those things are times when he was in need? But he just got through saying, I wasn't in need. I I have learned to be content when I'm starving. Well, don't you think that's a need time? The way Paul is presenting this, this is not a need moment. This is just a dependence moment, just like it is anything else. Lord, I'm dependent upon you. When When I'm going hungry, I depend on you. When I'm full, I depend on you. Not See, we, we without, without really trying to, it's not like we build a theology, although some of this has been built, but we kind of subconsciously have this 
uh, a way of approaching God that says when, we, when everything's going well, God's blessing us. When everything's going bad, we are in need and we need to, to call out to him. And, and Paul is saying here, I wasn't in need either time. I was in God. I was in him. He was in charge of me. I wasn't in need when I was hungry, and I wasn't in need when I was full. I have learned through, through time and trial, I have learned to be content in all things. And then he says in verse 13, for I can do everything. I can do everything. It appears to be, if you're not careful, it appears to be a, um, a change of subject. First, he's talking about the, the place of life, needing, you know, having, not having. It's about the details. Having, not having, I've, I've had a lot, I've had nothing, I've been hungry, I've been full, all these different kind of things. And then it appears that he switches gears, and now he's talking about action. But I don't think he's switching gears. I think this is the culmination. I think this is the A plus B equals C kind of thing. Now he's to the results of this. Once I learn to be content, once I realize that it's not about whether I'm hungry or whether I'm full or whether I have a lot of things or whether I have few things, what happens is when I know that I'm in Christ and that my heart is his and that I really don't have needs, even though my brain or society or culture or whatever will tell me you're in need, once I realize that I'm in Christ and that he is the, 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 in charge of everything, and it doesn't matter the details, then this is the purpose so that I can do. Not, not just so that I can think a certain way. or what He says, I have learned to be content, so now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He strengthens me when I'm hungry. He strengthens me when I'm full. But at the end of the day, he strengthens me so that I can do in him. Not just so that I can be, but so that my being provides the, the platform for me doing. And God, I can do all things. I can do everything in Christ. Why? Because I have learned that he's in charge and I can be content. It's an attitude of the heart. It is not about the situation. It's not about the details. It's about what I believe down deep inside of me. Either God's in charge or he's not. Either he's the provider when I have a lot, and he's also the provider when I have nothing, or he's not the provider at all. He's not just the provider when things are going well. He is still the provider. And I'm saying past tense. He has provided. See, in, in our Americanized Christianity, and, it, and this is kind of starting to move around the world with, with uh, some of the um, prosperity doctrine and stuff like that, this is becoming stronger. And specifically, I was looking at j just a couple weeks ago, in Latin America and Africa is really starting to take on to this, this prosperity gospel where God wants us all to be wealthy, also wants us all to be um, uh, blessed, and we put blessed in, in America as about what we can attain and what we can be, uh, like power and those kind of things. And, and I don't think Scripture defines it that way. He says, when I have nothing, God is still provided, past tense. He is still God. He is the provider. When I have a lot, He's still the provider. It's not when I have a lot, God has provided. It's God is the provider under all circumstances. And I, and I believe this, and I know this kind of pushes against some of our theology sometimes, but I believe sometimes the reason we don't have is because God has ordained it that way. I believe God has specifically done that. That God takes us to difficult situations. Now, I don't believe this in the concept of being sick. I don't think God gives sickness. There's a different category here. Sickness, we know, originates in the Garden of Eden with sin. 
There was no sickness before. Sickness starts with sin for all of humanity. It doesn't mean you sin and therefore you're sick. But sickness and disease started when sin entered. So there's no way you will ever be able to convince me that God gives somebody sickness. That's, that's a sin arena. That's a sin category. It's a, it's a Satan category. It's not a God category. Now, that doesn't mean individually that it has to do with Satan. It doesn't mean you sin, therefore you're sick. But that comes from Satan. Satan originated that. But I do know that, that uh, trials, tribulations, and those kind of things can start from God. Those are not in the sin category. They're not in a Satan category or an evil category. And sometimes God does things to us to take stuff, to pull us down to, to, to really get our attention about some things. Sometimes he blesses us to, to show us. Sometimes he blesses just because he loves us, just because he enjoys doing this. Just, I was thinking about this the other day. If some reason, you know, when, anytime somebody wins the lottery, you know, don't you do this in your head? You go like, now, if I won $147 bazillion, what would I do with it? You're like, first thing is I'd go to that real nice restaurant, you know. We think small. But I would think the, one of the first things that I would do is I would buy my son and daughter-in-law in Texas a new car. They're, they're children's pastors. That, you know, they don't have lots of money. They, they, it's a challenge sometimes. And I would love for them just to have a car they wouldn't have to worry about, right? You, you Parents, you understand what I'm saying. You're just like, I would like, now, maybe not a Mercedes. I'd probably buy that for me first. But, but I, I would buy them something, you know, maybe a Pontiac that doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. But but I, would, I, I think like that. Why? Because I'm a dad. Don't you think God thinks like that about you sometimes? Don't you think God just says, man, I would, I'll just do this. Why? Because I love them. That doesn't mean that that's why Jesus died on the cross. And that's where we get confused. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you can have a new car. He didn't. He died on the cross so you can be covered with his blood and made right with God. Blessings and all that flow out of relationship, flows out of uh, walking with him. Sometimes, so does the difficulties. Sometimes we have less because God wants us to have less. Sometimes we have more because God wants us to have more. Paul is saying, God, you're the provider under all circumstances. I trust you under all circumstances. For what? So that I can do everything for, in Christ who gives me strength to, to build the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Scott. I am here to build your kingdom, God, not my kingdom. I'm here to serve you, not serve me. I'm here to surrender to you and worship you, not worship me. I am here to give myself to you. He says, I do that. I have all of this is so that I can do. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Jump down to verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me. Paul is making sure we don't think this is just a Paul thing. This same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. This is one of the things I, I've struggled with at different times, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I hope, that all of you have struggled the same way, is sometimes you think, well, God does that with them, whoever them is. Well, that's what God does with them. Pastors do this. As a pastor, I've done this before. God, why do you bless that guy? He's a dork. I would never call another pastor a dork. I'm just saying if I did, that's what it would sound like. Why would you bless that guy? Or, or Have you ever done that? The family down the road, it seems like God just blesses them like crazy. And look what happens to you. And Paul is saying, look, don't, don't assume that this is a Paul thing. This is not a Paul thing. 
He says, the same God that takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches. Now, that's interesting. See, he, the sentence could have said, and it would, it would have still been true, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. But, he's, but he adds this little uh, qualifier in there that makes it profound. It takes it to complete different levels. He said he's going to supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, not from your supply, not from your resources, not from this world's supply, not from anything that a human being can come up with, but when he takes care of you, he's going to take care of you out of his resources. This is one way to process this. A couple weeks ago, I had some friends of ours here from Texas. They live in Lubbock, Texas. I don't know why. I don't know why anybody lives in Lubbock, Texas. I used to live near Lubbock, Texas, which is how I got to know him almost 30 years ago. I don't know why. I don't even know why God created a Lubbock, Texas. But either way, he was sitting on our back porch, and we were sitting out there having dinner or something like that. And he's looking at the mountains, and the sun is setting behind the mountains. You know how Colorado will do for you, right? And the orange line kind of glowing from behind the mountains and just beautiful. And he said, do you ever get tired of that? I've been in Colorado since 1996. He said, I never get tired of that. That's, and, and this is the cool thing is, is it's never the exact same way twice. God starts with this palette that's already pretty amazing that he created called the Rocky Mountains. And then he colors around it and over it and behind it and does light shows and all this stuff. And it's different every single day. And I told him I never get tired of that. I would get tired of Lubbock in about five seconds. I never got, see, I think God has blessed me with something that may seem small, but I love this. I live on the east side of town. I have to drive west to get to the church every morning. And, I, and I, my whole drive is just looking at the mountains. How amazing is that? And I think, I mean, you can, do, you can think whatever you want, but I think God literally did that for me, not you. Well, I mean you too, but me. And it's like God's saying, you know what, Scott, I really like this. Because he's an amazing God and he does some cool things. Now, that God is the one that says, I will supply all of your needs out of my resources. The God that can paint that every day is the one who supplies out of his resources to provide for me and to take care of me. It's important that we learn, God, help me be content in right now. Now, it's important to notice that we're going to kind of switch gears here a little bit, contentment is not complacency. And this is, this is the main reason that I'm talking about this. First, I do think that we need to learn. Um, he said, I, I've learned to be content. I think every one of us in here can learn better about being content. But I also think that one of the things that happens in our Christianity, and, and I hear this in a bunch of different ways, is, is uh, we think contentment means complacency. Or contentment means um, uh, laziness or giving up or something else. And I've heard people say, well, I guess this is just my lot in life. This is just what my life is about. This is who I am. As that's, that's not what Paul is saying here. When he's saying I'm being content in Christ, it's so that he can do 
It's so that he can push forward. But being content is a starting point for being effective in the Lord. Because if we're trying to be effective in the Lord without realizing he is God over everything and that, that he is in charge, and, and whether I have or don't, he's in charge, then we can actually do with the right mentality. So the same Paul that talks about being content goes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Years ago, I think, my, I think it was my oldest son was um, <clears throat> in baseball. And he had not won too many games that year. I don't, actually, I don't think he won any. But he had, they had, their team had done horrible. And at the end of the year, they get, I think they're like seven or eight years. I don't know. So they, get, they, they, they come out at the last game, and they get this big box. And they, they're coming around, and they're handing out trophies with little baseball players on them. And it says, you're a winner and all this kind of stuff. And, and it comes down to where uh, Lynn and I are, and Linda says, uh, we don't want a trophy. And um, don't say that part. It makes you sound humanistic. She said we didn't want to buy it. But that's not really the reason here. She tells them, she says, why are you giving, why are you giving them trophies? Because all of our boys are winners. Not in baseball. You might be winners in life. You might be winners in your mom's heart. You might be winners in a lot of other things, but you're not winners in baseball. Why are we giving them a trophy? And these people are looking at her like, she's this evil witch, you know. And you don't want her to. She's like, well, he didn't win. We're going to take him to get ice cream because he really tried hard and he did great in the game, but they didn't win. And a trophy says you won. Now, if I would have said that 20 years ago, everybody would be like, that's right. Why are you giving him a trophy? Nowadays, half of you in here are like, that is not right. He should have a trophy, but he didn't win. If the trophy at the bottom said, loser, give him the trophy. Do you realize that Paul is backing this up here? Paul said, when you run a race, one person wins. Doesn't matter if 40 bazillion people run it, one wins. So what, you, what should you do? You run to win. And this is a mentality that we're losing greatly. First, I think, in Christianity and secondly, in society. We're losing this mentality that you run to win. And then we give all of our kids trophies, all this other stuff. And then they graduate high school or they graduate college. They go into the workforce and they realize not everybody wins. Unless you work for a government. But not everybody wins. I'm sorry, I had to, some of you, I, either way. So, but, but right, not everybody wins. Not everybody gets the promotion. Not everybody even gets hired. Not everybody gets that job. Not everybody gets that car. Not everybody gets... Because why? This life is, is, a, is a race. Everything about it is a challenge. There's sometimes when you're going to win in some ways and you're not going to win in others. Paul says as Christians, we, have, we need to have a mindset that says you've got to win You've got to run this race with diligence, not just skip through the race, but actually run it, which means what? You need to train yourself to run it. He continues with this. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. In other words, shouldn't we be disciplining ourselves more because the prize is eternal? Shouldn't we be trying harder because the prize is eternal? It's not temporary. I just watched the, the uh, Tour de France. I love the Tour de France. It's, it's, it's got to be my favorite sporting event all year long. I, I, I uh, 
recorded every, 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 epi, uh, every stage and watched every stage of it. Those guys are athletes beyond what most people will ever be. Where they're riding their bicycles at speeds that most cars are going for 150 miles every single day, 21 days. Some up mountains, all kinds of stuff. And, and then you have this person that you see riding down the road, which I, I like. I love to see people out biking. And, and sometimes those guys think, I, I might could do the tour. No. I kept thinking to myself, especially in mountain stage, I love to climb on my bike. I love to climb. Most people don't like to climb. And I kept thinking, I would at least like to be there once with them one day. Just one day on those mountains. And then I look at the grade and I look at how fast they're doing it and I realize I would be there with them for like 12 seconds. And my day would be over. These, these guys are, are top athletes. They're serious about this. Guys, I think we could use a little bit of that in our Christianity. God, I need to train for this. I need to be serious about this. There's things coming up that I don't know about that I need to be close to you. I need to know your mind, your spirit, your heart. I need to get in your word because there's going to be challenges in my family, in my life, in my marriage, all these different things. In society, workplace, I got to be ready. I got to be ready. But we're like the guy sitting on the couch eating potato chips, and then he goes and gets on a bike and rides around the corner. He's like, I'm dying. Why? Because we haven't prepared for any of it. We prepare in prayer. We prepare in God's presence and his spirit and getting in there and saying, God, I need you. He says, so I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete. And I believe, by the way, that Paul exercised regularly. I think that's part of what he's saying. I think he physically was ready. I've had people over the years say, well, physical exercise doesn't matter to a Christian. It's only about spiritual. He says that, that, we, that we get ready physically uh, spiritually, like we're getting ready physically. He says physical exercise does good for a little bit, but spiritual exercise is more important. He didn't say don't exercise. You need to exercise. God gave you this as a temple. You need to take care of it. You need to be, you need to be able to do certain things physically. Th- this is the way my mind has begun shifting lately, and this is the way I'm starting to think, is when I have grandsons, I want to be able to take them out biking and, and destroy them in the mountains. I do. That's why I think about it. When my grandsons come up to me and be like, I don't care how old they are, two years old, I'm going to whoop them when we wrestle. I'm not, gonna, I'm not letting them win. Who does that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whoop them. When my grandson says, I bet I can outrun you, I'm going I'm to leave them standing there. They're going to be like, doggone, he's fast. I'm not going to be like jogging along with, hey, you can do this. I'm like, no, I'm gonna, this is what my rear looks like. Boom! <laughs> I don't know why I start going down this road. <laughs> I think it's because I had surgery and I can't use his arm and I feel weak and all that. So, <laughs> all right, I discipline myself. I discipline myself. This is the thing. Last sentence. This is important. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I might myself be disqualified. How many times have we done that in our life? Lord, I need to follow you because not just for my personal walk, but other people are watching. My son said this to me this week. My oldest, he was talking about um, I was giving Linda a hard time about um, when she was in the Dominican. This like, I was like, get, pick me up some cigars. So uh, I, don't, I don't smoke. I don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But um, I, I do have a couple cigars sitting at home that I got at a tournament recently, but that, I don't smoke them. But they, they look cool. So, uh, so she showed me a picture of cigars, and my oldest son was like, why is mom showing you cigars? I'm like, I was just messing with her. And he says, well, I don't. And he, a, a few years ago, he smoked cigars. 
when he was in college because he was an idiot. So he told me, he said, I don't do that anymore, Dad. And I said, I know. I can tell you the reason why. You got a daughter now. He said, that's a reason. He said, I don't want my kids to ever do something like that, and I don't want to send a bad message that this is okay in my world and my life. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with parents that um, socially drink. Oh, we just have a glass of wine every now and then. I don't know why. And then as a youth pastor, they would come to me. I don't know why that my 15-year-old son it got, went to a party and got blasted drunk. Yeah, I don't know why either. Those have nothing to do with each other. Really? Let me read it again. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified or send a disqualifying message that says this is okay. It's okay. I've had this conversation. Now, this doesn't happen as much nowadays, but years ago, women would go to church a lot by themselves and dads would sit home. I don't, I don't really see that very much nowadays, every now and then, but it's not as common. But then the dads would be all upset and calling the youth pastor, me, and saying, why is, this, why is this kid of mine doing this and all this other kind of stuff? What do you mean why? You've told them that God's important. You've told them church isn't important. What else is there? What other option is there? It makes sense. If God's not important, church is not important, go out and get blasted. Go get drunk. Go, do, go get, take drugs. Do whatever. Sleep around. All that stuff. God's not important. Church, that means God's rules are not important. God's moral codes are not important. Then who cares? But all of a sudden, you care. There has to be some consistency. He says, otherwise, I'll disqualify even my own self. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, though I am least deserving of all of God's people. I, 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 was, this, I, I struggle with this one, too, because to me, if there's anybody that's in the category of being most deserving, it would be Paul. Now, the reason that I say that is because the body of his work. When you look at all of his writing, two-thirds in the New Testament, he wrote. He is the theologian. He is the founding theologian. He's the one who got taught from Jesus himself. He's the one who lived this amazing life that traveled thousands upon thousands of miles by foot and boat so that he could preach the gospel to people. And then he says, uh, though I'm the least deserving, to me he's the most deserving, but here's the reason. Because I take the full body of his work. I, I, I was thinking about this this last week with Jerry Tuttle in our church here. He started um, Harvestville Corners to Pakistan. Well, I, I've only known Jerry for six years. T to me, Jerry's a pretty amazing guy. That, that in his retirement, he could do anything. He, he, had, he had plenty of money sitting in the bank. He could do anything. He starts a missions organization and spends most of his time talking on overseas, doing all this kind of stuff, going overseas, planning all these missions things, doing all this. That's his retirement. He's 80-something years old now. When I think of uh, somebody that, that might say, well, I'm the least deserving, it wouldn't be Jerry. But if, but, but if you knew Jerry maybe all of his life or you got into Jerry's head and you knew all the stuff, like the mistakes he's made, the times when he hasn't had the right attitude or whatever, then he would also say, even, even though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, as I know that we can feel that way sometimes. I know that we can think, I don't deserve or, or whatever the case is. But let's let God show us the full body of our work. Let's let God show us how he sees us. That really, at the end of the day, it's not about deserving or not deserving anyway. It's not, and it's not about that. It's not about being hungry or, or full. It's about saying, God, I want to follow you in all of these things. 
I want to follow you in everything. That you are the beginning and the end of everything. Though I'm the least deserving, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And every one of us here had that same call, that same opportunity to tell people, the Gentiles, <laughs> tell people about Jesus. Throw, throw some Jews in there. That's fine too. That we have the opportunity to tell people about Jesus. God wants us to do that. We have the opportunity. We have the, the, the gift that has been given us. It doesn't matter about how much we know or what's going right or wrong in our life or I know that sometimes we feel disqualified. I have these conversations regularly. I feel disqualified because I did this or I, I went there. and I did. Sometimes I think as, as Christians that have been Christians a long time, we struggle more doing what God has said than the brand new Christian because we've condemned ourselves over the years. I can't. I can't because I did this. and I Just let the, the blood of Jesus be the blood of Jesus. Let it forgive and wash. Let the Holy Spirit get in your mind and spirit. Wash some things up. Do whatever he's got to do. And then go and do all things in Christ Jesus. Because he's the one that's in charge of all of this. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church, that's you and I, to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heaven places. Do you realize he's not talking about people there? He, it's like he switches right in the middle of that. He's saying, I get the opportunity to witness. And then God uses the church to show wisdom and God's power and all these other things to what? All of the forces in the spiritual realms that God is in charge of you in the physical realm. That's pretty cool. That's pretty. I had a conversation with a guy this last week about this, talking about if we could just see our spirit self, not our physical self, but if we could see our spirit self and how big and how powerful it is under the anointing of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, I think it would amaze us. And I think God's taken this, this spirit self of us and squished it into this little body, this tiny little physical body. Why do I think that? Because God gives, remember, we're creating the image of God and we're, we're small glimpses of the bigness of who God is. Not in a deity sense, we're not God. But the incarnation shows us that God takes himself and puts it in a tiny little human body. And then he says things to us like, you're going to be able to do all the things that I've done and even greater things. Not as gods, but as humans with eternal spirits. I think we're pretty big inside, but I don't think we know it. I think we don't live that way because Satan tries to tell us differently and we buy into it. God wants to use you in some pretty cool stuff. Think about this. He gives you a sword. In Ephesians 6, well, let's just go there. Ephesians 6, verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Now, I'm not going to break down the, the, the armor of God, okay? We don't have time for that this morning. I probably will talk about one because I can't, but not. But, but I want you to think about the attitude of the heart as he's saying this stuff. Not, not the details, but the attitude of the heart as Paul is talking about this. Final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power, which is a choice. Just like I can learn to be content. Put on all of God's armor. That's a choice. So that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Isn't that difficult sometimes? I, I know that in my head, but it just doesn't come out right sometimes. I know we're not fighting against people. But a person is who cut me off in traffic. It's a person. It's a real person. I know we're not fighting against people. But that person is who's talking bad about me. But we're not fighting against people, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers 
in this dark world, against all evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. That's a choice. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground. It's a choice. Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. That, that's the one I have to say something about. Do you realize that the, the, the gospel, the peace that comes from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which is pre- preaching the gospel, that particular part of armor is shoes. That's not accident. Shoes that go places. That tells us that our gospel isn't about sitting in a church. Our gospel is about putting on your shoes and going to work. Putting on your shoes and going to school. Putting on your shoes and going into the community. The gospel of peace will be on my feet. And that will determine where I go and what I do. Even determine how I get there. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Now, so that we understand this, some, there's, there's groups of uh, Christianity in America that don't think that uh, there is such a thing as empowerment of the Holy Spirit, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation, things like prophecy and tongues and all that kind of stuff. There, there are major chunks of the church in America that don't believe that. Okay, We do believe that around here. We do believe that God does this stuff, and he does it now, and he does it today. Now, here's the deal. When he says pray in the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, He's not saying let, let prayer be a spiritual thing. All prayer is a spiritual thing. All prayer is spirit. So why would he specifically say here, pray in the spirit? Because this is not just praying. Praying is spiritual. Asking God for things, spiritual. Uh, worshiping God, spiritual. All that kind of stuff. But when he says pray in the spirit, he's specifically talking about praying in tongues. Like 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about. That it strengthens you personally. That you get built up. Why? He just told you about all the armor. Don't you think you should have a big, powerful-looking spirit body inside all that armor? Don't you think that when you take off the body and you're just like, I, told, I said this last week, I got two, like, two different bodies going on here because of my surgery. I can't do anything with this side of my body, but I'm still working out at the gym every week. When I look in the mirror, it's like two different people. Okay. So pray in the Spirit. Build yourself up. Why? Because there needs to be a warrior underneath that armor. There needs to be something going on underneath that armor. Stay alert. That's choice. And that's the same person that said be content. Those are compatible. Be content and stay alert. Be content and be persistent. Be content and be a warrior. Be content and fight this thing out. Be content and run for the prize. Be content and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Three basic things that I've tried to put this into context for us. How do I be content and cagey or content and um, proactive or content and a fighter? The first thing is trust God. This is what Paul is talking about at first. You've got to know that God's in charge of everything, and he supplies according to him. Trust God first. Get in your word. That's where, you, that's where you learn to trust God. Uh, talk to him in prayer. Pray in the Spirit. That's how you learn to trust God. Um, do things like coming to church and getting with other believers. That is how you learn to trust God. Now, why do I put the emphasis on trusting God? Because if you're content in all things and you're ready to go forward, then you won't be upset and fighting against God. 
or fighting against flesh and blood. This is, this is where, if you, you can't be a Christian very long at all, where you're going to come to this crossroads. There are going to be times when you think God has used you, abused you, not treated you right. He's, he's not taking care of you, all these different things. And you can get upset and you can get angry with God. Don't fight against God. Don't fight against flesh and blood. Fight against Satan and your flesh. Fight against the one who's trying to destroy you. That's Satan. People are just going to be people. Sometimes they're nice, sometimes they're not. But at the end of the day, Satan is the one that manipulates people. And God is the one who, who lifts up, redeems, and restores. So trust God. The second one is never quit. This is, this is a big one. Satan's biggest plan for you is for you to quit. He tries to steal, kill, and destroy. For what purpose? To get you to quit. To get you to give up on God. This is one of the things my, my oldest son reminded me of this this week. We were talking. I, was, <clears throat> I wanted to see the grandbaby, and so I made him Skype with me and then show me the grandbaby. I could care about them, you know, it's whatever. But background noise. I want to look at the baby. And um, so he, he was talking about how he's been saying this lot, and he says, you know, I catch myself sounding like you, Dad. And I was like, sweet. But that's not the way he meant it. <clears throat> He didn't mean it as like totally positive, but not totally bad, you know. And he, he said, I feel like I'm you all the time because I, I'm always saying bottoms aren't quitters. You don't quit. I drilled that into my kids. I drilled them into my kids. Don't, don't quit. We're not quitters. Now, we did come to the conclusion that we're not really winners. We're kind of mediocre. And, but we're not quitters. We're not. We, we run marathons, like I want to get a, a bumper sticker that's like 1.8-ish, you know, something like that, because everybody got their, their, you know, 26, 13, I want to, like I ran to the mailbox and back, how do you put that on a bumper sticker? But we may not be winners, but we're not quitters, as we're going to stay in there, we're going to keep fighting it out, we're going to keep working, we're going to keep pushing forward, and keep pushing forward, because there's a God that we're pursuing, and there's people that need to know him. We're, gonna, we're not going to give up on our marriages. We're not going to give up on our families. We're not going to give up on, on being who God's called us into the workplace. We're not going to quit. Just don't quit. Anybody can quit. But just keep, keep in there. Keep in there. Keep fighting for it. Be content right now, but don't quit. You may think you're defeated, but you're not. And this is a big one. I... I God has shown me this two major times in my life, and, a, and a, some smaller ones too, but two major times where he showed me that I have more than what I thought I had, that I could deal with more than what I thought I could deal with. And God showed me that he had more confidence in me and more trust in me than I had in myself. Guys, don't quit. Push forward, push forward. Chase after him. I think about the woman that reaches up and grabs onto his, to his cloak and she's healed. Keep pushing through the crowd. Keep pushing. And then the third thing is walk in the right now. And I think this is a big one. Sometimes you get so much stuff going on in your life, and life just starts caving in on you and caving in on you. And, and you just got to walk in today, just, just today. I was, I was out at Wanda and Harry's um, last week, and, and uh, they were talking about all this stuff. I mean, he, he's been through the stroke. He's had all these other things going on. Uh, Wanda breaks her hip right in the middle of all of this thing, trying to take care of him. Financially, they've, they've I mean, gone through basically every penny they have. Now Harry's in rehab. Just a few days ago, he got put in live-in rehab and all this stuff. And, and, I, and both of them were sitting there broken and saying, what, what else can we deal with? What else? 
We, we, everything is going wrong. Everything is happening. And, and I kept telling them, guys, I don't know. This doesn't make sense to me. I just, I just believing that God's going to heal them. I'm just believing this. And I told them, I said, I, this, is the, this is the only thing I got. Just don't give up. God's big. You just got to stay in there and just hold on to him. No matter what, just hold on to him. Because to me, the only other option is, is defeated. What? Even if you feel defeated, doesn't mean that you are. Stay in there. Stay in there. And live right now, today. Scripture says, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice in it. Sometimes it's difficult because pressures are so big, it's difficult to look a few days or a week or a month out in advance. I get that. Sometimes, man, you can look 10 years down the road, everything's going, you're jamming, stuff is right, everything's working well. But sometimes just getting through today is the most that you can do. Well, then just do that. This is the day I'm going to serve you, God. I'm going to rejoice today. It doesn't matter if I'm hungry or full, I'm going to rejoice in you today. It doesn't matter whether I'm being victorious by my perception or not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in you today, and I'm going to worship you today. Because this is the day you've made, and that means every single day God has made this day. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. God, we ask you to, to stir into our spirit the knowledge that you are in charge right now. That, God, you are in charge of today. God, that you're in charge of our minds, our spirits, our life, and that we want to surrender those things to you. We acknowledge that you're king over everything. God, those mountains behind me are a testimony that you're bigger than anything we can imagine. God, sometimes it's difficult for us to, to, to see you being bigger than the stuff going on in our world. So God, for every one of us here, help us to be content. Help us to be content. Lord, also help us to be always pushing forward, always pushing, never quitting, always pushing. We're going to run this race you've given us. We're going to live this life you've given us to build your kingdom, not our kingdom, but your kingdom. God, help us with this. Get in our heads right now. Holy Spirit, we open our mind, our spirit up to you. You do some things that you want to do. keep your head bowed, I want to ask you two questions. The first question, same as always, do you know for sure that Jesus is in charge of your life? Do you know that you know? You say, I, I need him. I need him to be God of my life. Maybe he has been before and he's not, or maybe it's the first time you're saying, Jesus, I need you to be in charge of me. If that's you, we're all going to pray together. I'm not going to sing you out or anything, but but, um, but for you, if you say, that's me, I need Jesus as God of my life, I'd like to raise your hand real quick. All right. Okay. Anybody else? I don't want to rush through this, but I think, I think we know who we are. Okay. All right, we're going to pray about that first, and we're going to ask God to be in charge of us. And everybody in the room, I'd like you to pray this with me. And... And uh, if you raise your hand, do the best you can to make this your prayer. If you didn't raise your hand and you wanted to, just, just make this your prayer. It's that simple. Um, so let's pray together. Lord God, I need you to be God over my life. I submit myself to you and I surrender my life to you. 
ask you to cover me with the blood of Jesus and forgive all of my sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, thank you for the amazing gift of salvation, forgiveness, grace. Lord, help us, every one of us in here, help us to never take that for granted, but that you're the saving, redeeming God. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. Let me ask the next question. If you say, I'm really struggling with the, the content or, or cagey or intentional side of this, either side. I'm struggling with being content in, in my existence or I'm struggling with not pushing forward, maybe being complacent, either one. But if either side of this, you're saying, I'm really struggling with this and I've got to, or maybe both, probably both, but if you're saying, I'm struggling with this, um, I want us to pray pray about this. But if you say that's me, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Now, I think I think quite a few of us would deal with this on a more regular basis than we, than we think. Lord, I want to be content. Lord, I want to push forward. I think we struggle with that stuff. So, God, you saw the hands. You know the hearts. Lord, we want to be content in you, that you are a source of everything. We will seek you first, your kingdom and your righteousness first. And God, you'll take care of all the stuff. And Lord, also, I, I pray that we would be always, always trying to run this race, always trying to win the lost, always trying to push forward and, and know more about you and, and spend more time with you and constantly pushing, constantly pushing. God, I pray against anybody in this room just being status quo, just being part of the, the moment and the circumstances. God, we're not part of the circumstance. We're part of your kingdom. Help us to see that. Lord, we want to push forward. So God, I pray for both. Help us to be content and help us to constantly be pushing. We're going to be intentional. We're going to be proactive, not reactionary. Lord, help us to walk in your spirit and to pray in your spirit at all times. God, we thank you. Lord, I pray for all the different needs that are going on in our church. Lord, you're the, the God of, of healing. You are the healer. Lord, you're the redeemer. You're the, the one that fixes things and, and establishes yourself in our lives. So God, we pray for the needs for Harry and, and Keith and Sharon and all, all the different things going on in our church. Lord, we pray for them. So many, so many physical things and spiritual things and relational things. God, we need you. Fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to share how amazing Jesus is with somebody else. Do the, do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how good looking that they are. Um, hug their neck maybe. I don't know. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your week.